In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about a creepy hand, offhanded comments, and <laughs> so Terry tends I can't even say it anymore. <laughs> the cemetery Denzians. <laughs> In our discussion of Coraline by Neil Gaiman. (laughs) (laughs) What a good beginning this is. So professional. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> mm. <laughs> hey, everybody! Welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda, <laughs> and I'm Claire. <laughs> and today we're going to discuss Coraline by Neil Gaiman. Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, listen <laughs> <laughs> up. I had to say it faster. I was going to start giggling again. <laughs> Welcome to season four of Fictional Hangover, everyone. Yay! Yay! It literally means nothing different to anyone. But, I mean, it's exciting for us. It's very exciting for us. And I love the fact that our season starts with Spooktober. I know! I know, it's so nice. So glad I started this podcast in October a hundred years ago. (laughs) It's fine, I joined like nine years ago, so it's like... We're like the old lady on the Titanic. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I'm keeping that blue, big, blue, blue, blue. I'm keeping that big blue big diamond. Blue. Oh, I'm it's putting on. I'm putting on eBay. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, um, you've got to go to an auction house and hope that Banksy also has something going that he yes decides to do some kind of explosion. With. Yeah, yeah. We'd have to. We'd have to do something to get a lot of money for that diamond. I would definitely not throw mm. it into the ocean. No. You can forget that. You can forget that right now. I, I think it's popped up. I mean, for for a dramatically silly movie, it was the stupidest thing. It was really, really stupid. Most unbelievable part. Yeah. Not going to happen. Anyway, we're not talking about Titanic today. Today we're talking about Coraline. <laughs> Wow, that's so very different. It is really not the same at all. Especially because we're, <laughs> it really isn't. we're not talking about Coraline the movie even. We're talking about Coraline the book. No, I'm, I don't even think I'm going to bring Coraline the movie into the discussion. Um, it's, it's too much of a different entity. Yeah. Yeah. The book is much scarier. Oh, bloody hell, that's creepy as. In the audio book, oh, we're getting into we the are. discussion. Stop it. Let's, let's get let's get it. the background let it... information 
And let's get okay, into it. Okay, well, the background information is actually a nice segue because I learned from an article on IndieBound.org that I read by uh, Gavin J. Grant. It was an interview, mm-hmm. and I learned that the audiobook came first. Really? Yeah. I mean, he, he it took him like 10 years to write this book, but he was going to... He was going to release oh, published first. Yeah, he was going to release the audiobook first and then the published version of it, but like there was something about there not being any books published at that time and so they were like, "Well, let's just go ahead and publish the book too." But it was going to be audio. It was going to be audio first. Oh, that's interesting because the 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 version of Coraline that I have behind me um it has a, a lovely introduction actually about the, the conception mm-hmm. of it and it explains the dedication as well how we started it for one daughter in when they lived in England and then finished it for another daughter when they moved to America yeah. and it was a really it was a really nice little background actually yeah it's it's very cute um I learned also that as he was writing it he you know he shared it with some adults and with some children and and he said it was like they were reading two different stories because the adults really like it and they were like this book gives me nightmares and no children should ever read it and it's scary and disturbing and seriously don't give it to children and then the children who read it just read it as an adventure story and loved it and weren't scared of it at all so that's that's really interesting that we as adults are frightened by this book, but children apparently are not. I really like that concept, actually. I have read um, somewhere, because I've seen Coraline around, uh, I mean, up to Spooktober, like we said, you know, it's it's a spooky book. It's starting to, you know, come out and say hello to everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, that Neil Gaiman gets approached by women who come up to him and thank him about the book and because they read it as a child and it helped them overcome whatever they were scared of at that point. Um, so now they're not as scared as an adult because they think, well, what would Coraline do? Yeah. And I really like yeah, it's that. That's really cute. Mm-hmm. And again, it just goes to what you're saying, how as an adult, we're like, what the F? But kids are like seeing her as a role model yeah and like she's just going and defeating a monster and like saving the day yeah yeah exactly yeah that's brilliant i love how books this is why books are brilliant you can so many different people from so many different age groups can read the same thing and just get different things from it exactly yeah (sighs) i like books books are awesome are awesome i wish i had more I need some more books. I have literally one book. I know your shelves are sad, but not everyone can see that. Although they can, they can check out our blog post where we feature pictures from our episode recordings, or they can join us on Patreon. Join our Patreon bonus tier, and they can watch the whole video. (laughs) They might find out why we were giggling and silly at the beginning of this episode. (laughs) I don't know. We didn't really explain it. We just started recording mid snort. Oh man. So, do you have any initial thoughts about this one? Um. Blah. Okay, it's a good one. How do you how do you spell that? B W. <laughs> Lots of A's. Yeah, it would not be accepted in Scrabble. No, it wouldn't. No, not at all. I don't think it's a real word. 
it's just a creepy book and I love I you know I love Neil Gaiman yes and I'm really excited to to, to cover this one I really really yeah. am um little gutted not dressed up for I it. know I know I was also I'm sad that I no longer have my button eyes because I've dressed up as the other mother before and actually I dressed up as the other mother when telling this story to a cafeteria full of children and it was so much fun yeah it was such a good book to read they were a captive audience and the last day was the last it was the last week of October so it was appropriate to wear costumes and so I did I was the other mother and I had really big fingernails and I had terrifying button eyes glued to my face it was really good it was really really good it's perfect. I do have Scully Jewel with button eyes in the corner. I did. He is. He, he is he there. He has come up for the show. And you do have your creepy eyeball pillow with one visible eyeball right now, so that's also good. It's strategically placed so at least one eyeball can it's be really seen. It's really good. I'm glad. I'm glad that you did that. <laughs> All right, you ready to start? Yeah. Okay. Coraline, her mother and father moved into a large house that had an attic, a cellar and an overgrown garden. They did not own the whole house. They only had a small flat in part of it. On the ground floor lived Miss Spink and Miss Forcible. They once trod the boards, but now they're old and round and have a number of Highland Terriers. They also always mispronounce Coraline's name. It's Coraline, not Caroline. In the flat above, lived a crazy old man with a big mustache who said he was training mice for a circus. He would not show Coraline the mouse circus. Coraline liked to explore. In the big garden, she found an old tennis court, a rockery that was all rocks, and a fairy ring. She also found a well Miss Spink and Miss Forcible warned her away from. Coraline also found animals, including a haughty black cat. Coraline could explore the gardens to her heart's content, so long as she dressed warmly, but when the weather turned, she had to stay indoors, so she started to explore there. Her parents were perfectly happy for Coraline to do so, as long as she didn't make a mess and left them to work. They even let her explore the drawing room. Do you know what's my favourite? That her parents work from home. It's almost like it could be happening right now. Oh, don't say that. I'm freaking out now. Oh, no. I'm assessing any doors that I don't know where they go to in my house. Is there anything skittering or scuttling around you? Shh. Yeah. <laughs> Coraline counted everything blue and the windows and the doors. She found one locked door in the drawing room. It was a big, carved, wooden door in the far corner. Her mother told Coraline it went nowhere. The big black key to the door was on a string of keys on the kitchen doorframe. Her mother used it to show her a brick wall behind. It went somewhere once, before the house was separated into flats, but now there is a brick wall, and Coraline's mother doesn't bother to lock the door after she's shown Coraline nothing is behind it. Bad idea! Lock the door! Always lock the door. Lock the door! 
Later that night, Coraline hears strange noises and climbs out of bed to investigate. Something scuttles in the shadows and darts into the drawing room. A black shape edges from behind furniture and dashes to the farthest corner. The door to nowhere is slightly ajar. Returning to bed, Coraline dreams of singing rats. The song is so creepy in the audiobook. It's so creepy. But are you going to sing it in a high rat voice? We are small, but we are many. We are many, we are small. We were here before you rose. We will be here when we fall. Scary fucking rats. The next day, the rain has stopped, but a thick fog has descended over the house. This does not deter Coraline from exploring the gardens, in suitable attire, of course. She meets Miss Forcible and Miss Spink separately, and the old man upstairs, whose mice have a message for her. Don't go through the door. Please, for the love of all that is holy, do not go through the door. Dismissing this warning... Coraline goes back inside with little success finding entertainment. She draws a picture of the mist. Her mother <laughs> decides that it is modern. She checks the old door, finds it locked, and goes to speak with her father, who is perpetually busy and tells her to visit the neighbors. So she does, to Miss Spink and Miss Forcible, the latter of whom reads her tea leaves and sees danger in her future, and the former gives her a stone with a hole in it. To help with the bad things. As school was only a week away from starting, Coraline was dragged to the department store for her uniform. Ugh, oh, been there. <laughs> her mother refused the dear glow green gloves. Come on! Which is a pity. Come on! I know. And when they got home at lunchtime, there was nothing to eat. So while Coraline's mother popped to the shops, Coraline took this time as an opportunity to open the door. No. Why would you? Don't do no. it. Do it when there are people Listen there to, to the keep mice. you safe. Don't, just don't do it. Listen to the mice. Yes, listen to the mice. That's a good That's a life lesson. It really is. There was a dark hallway where once there was brick. It felt cold and smelled musty. Coraline ventured forth and found herself in her own drawing room. Well, not exactly. It looked the same, but slightly off. Then she heard her mother calling for her, so she went into the kitchen. The woman there looked like her mother, but again, not. She was slightly taller, her skin paper white, her fingers too long, with sharp red nails. But her eyes, where her eyes should have been, were big black buttons. The woman introduces herself as her other mother, and the man, he is her other father. Coraline takes this in stride and sits down to the delicious chicken dinner her other mother has made. Afterwards, she is encouraged to play with the rats in her room, who sing the disquieting song from her dream before burrowing into the clothes of the man upstairs who appeared in her doorway. With the rat's departure, Coraline goes outside to explore. So much wrong. Yikes. Everything about that paragraph is yikes. So much wrong. 
The house outside is the same as the house inside, familiar but slightly off. The Mrs. Forcible and Spink's door is brightly painted with signs pointing to an astounding theatrical triumph. On a wall near the house sits a proud and distinguished black cat, who Caroline hears speak at the back of her mind. It seems cats live in both worlds, as this is the same one from home. Before it saunters off, it tells Caroline it was good she brought protection. Wait, protection? protection. Hmm. Coraline decides to explore the Mrs. Forcible and Spinks flat. It is dark inside, with rows of velvet-cushioned seats facing a stage. A terrier asks her for a ticket, and though she doesn't have one, it shows her to a seat anyway, where other dogs are patiently waiting for the show to start, and soon it does. Mrs. Forcible and Spink make dramatic entrances, one on a unicycle, the other scattering flowers, before they unzip their fluffy coats and faces, and step out looking younger and trim with button eyes. Unzipping your faces. It's terrifying. The show is part theatrical Shakespeare production, part circus performance, and Coraline is a volunteer who has a balloon atop her head popped by a blindfolded, knife-wielding Miss Forcible. The box of chocolates she wins is given to the dog sitting next to her. The show, she is told, will go on forever, so Coraline leaves. Waiting for her in the garden is her other mother and other father, who want her to stay forever and ever. All Coraline will have to do is have her eyes replaced with buttons. Coraline declines and hastens through the drawing room door. Though this world is more interesting than home, she doesn't want to stay. No, thank you. I bid you adieu. No, no thank you, ma'am. <laughs> I will go home and keep my eyeballs, thank you. Yeah. I have questions about the procedure, but you know. Caroline's mother has not returned from the shops, and her father, who was on a day trip to London, hasn't returned either. Caroline makes herself dinner and puts herself to bed. The next day, there is still no sign of her parents. She makes do again, visits Miss Forcible and Miss Spink, who ignore her comments of missing parents, and uses her pocket money to buy chocolate cake, apples and limeade for dinner. Her parents still haven't returned that night, and Coraline cries herself to sleep in their bed. The black cat wakes her at 3.12am and pushes her to the big mirror in the hall. Coraline can see the ghost of her parents in its reflection, and her mother uses her breath to write, help us, before it fades. Seeing the only sensible course of action is to get help, Coraline calls the police, who are condescending and don't believe mm -hmm. her. Nope, it's up to her. Gathering some supplies, like a candle, apples, and the stone with a hole in it, Coraline ventures back through the door in the drawing room. Yikes. On the other side of the door, Coraline's other mother and other father are waiting. They are joyous that she has come back to them and tell her they will treat her better than her parents. Coraline challenges this and doesn't fully believe the image the other mother shows her in the hallway mirror of her parents returning from a holiday abroad they could not have taken if they still had a daughter. Now it's time for bed, and though Coraline does not want to sleep under the same roof as the other parents, 
she does. The black cat suggests she thinks of a challenge to win her parents back, as the other mother creature loves a challenge, though likely won't play a fair. The cat also suggests she get some rest, as it will be a long day tomorrow. Though it probably won't help matters, Coraline sleeps in the other bedroom, with the toy chest blocking the door. Coraline slept through the night, and in the morning, she made the decision to put on the clothes her other mother had for her in the wardrobe. But these were more costumes than clothes. Gathering her last apple and the stone, Coraline sets out to find her parents. Sitting stock still in his study, Coraline finds her other father, who tells her her other mother is off fixing the doors to stop the vermin from getting in, meaning the black cat. He then tells her the other mother said he shouldn't talk to her, so he remains silent. Coraline leaves, checking the drawing room and finding the same old furniture and the same picture of a bowl of fruit. But the snow globe on the mantle is different. Coraline explores outside until the trees become indistinguishable blobs of colour and the white fog thickens, and she stumbles upon the cat who tells her there is nothing there and it was all constructed by her. Heading back inside and looking in the hallway mirror, Coraline is confronted by her other mother, who has no reflection. No, thank you. Run. If people don't have a reflection, you do not want to be around Unless them. they're a vampire and can turn Unless you into a vampire. And they can turn you in. Yeah, yeah. Caveat. She insists she and Coraline play a game, but Coraline declines. She will not play. She will not stay. She will not love her. Coraline wants her parents and for them to go back home together. For her insolence, the other mother takes a key, opens the hallway mirror and locks Coraline inside. She is not to come out until she has learned some manners and is ready to be a loving daughter. Yikes. 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 Inside the mirror, it's pitch black and cramped, barely the size of a closet. And Coraline isn't alone. Along with a spider are the ghosts of children who have forgotten their names as the other mother fed on them until they were wisps and husks. She has them trapped in this space and their souls are hidden somewhere else. The children warn Coraline that the same will happen to her. Coraline doesn't believe the other mother will leave her forgotten in this place because she needs her to have fun and games first. But she feels sorry for the ghost children and wants to help them. As Coraline drifts off to sleep, she feels a ghostly kiss on her cheek and hears a whisper of a voice say, Look through the stone. The other mother plucks a sleeping Coraline from the space in the mirror and carries her as she would a baby into the kitchen. As the other mother makes Coraline a cheese omelette, Coraline proposes a finding things game. If Coraline wins, the other mother will free her parents and the ghost children and let them return home. If she loses, she will submit to being a dutiful daughter and have buttons sewn into her eyes. The other mother loves the game and the prize is tempting, so she swears by her right hand she will obey the rules and the game is on. Coraline begins her search, at first under the watch of the other mother, but soon alone. Deciding she would rather be in her own clothes, Coraline changes back into her pajamas in her bedroom. She also takes this opportunity to look at the toys scattered around the room and in the toy box. Remembering the advice of the ghost child, 
Coraline pulls out the stone with a hole in it and scans the room, looking through the hole. Coraline sees a small light, a marble, and when she picks it up, she hears one of the ghost children's voices. It sounds relieved and warns her the other mother will not be happy that she's found one of their souls. Deciding to explore further, Coraline goes to the flat of Mrs. Forcible and Spink. The theatre looks decrepit and abandoned. Strange dog-bat creatures are dangling from the rafters. It's silent. Looking through the stone again, Coraline locates a small spark inside a goo sack. The sack contains the gelatinous mass of Mrs. Forcible and Spink, with their two young heads and too many limbs, and a tight grasp on the soul marble. Coraline reaches in and manages to grab it when the strange dog bats start flying about, causing the button eyes of Miss Forcible and Miss Spink to open and look right at her. Coraline pulls the marble free from the goo sack and makes her hasty escape from the flat. As she leaves, Coraline hears the whisper of a child's voice telling her to flee and to run away from this place. Outside, everything is turning formless, like the house is a half-formed idea of a house. The mist swirls, shadows deepen, and the house seems to twist and stretch. The other mother is waiting for Coraline, perfectly still and expressionless, her fury only betrayed by the tightness of her lips pressed together. Coraline informs the other mother that she has found two souls and only has one to go. No reaction. The other mother offers to help Coraline. After all, she won't be able to get into the empty flat without a key, which she coughs up and pulls from her mouth. She tosses it at Coraline, who catches the damp key. Then a chill wind blows, and the other mother disappears. Key's damp. Yikes! She pulled it from her mouth. The key is it's damp. damp. It's got mouth wet on it. Ugh. Mm-mm. Mouth wet. This is a very moist book, it isn't really it? It really is. It's moist. With the goo sacks and yeah. everything. Yeah. Caroline goes to the empty flat, the voice of one of the ghost children warning her it is a trick. Caroline expects that it is the case and locks the door anyway. Inside, it is empty, old and dirty. Walking through the rooms, Coraline finds a trap door. She pulls it open, but there is only darkness inside, and the switch only turns on a thin yellow light. Looking down through the stone, Coraline can see nothing, so she goes down. The room is filled with rubbish, and the floor crunches. But she spots two feet amongst the debris. Pulling back a cloth, hiding a figure, Coraline finds a pale, bloated, featureless creature akin to a grub, but with black button eyes. Coraline makes a sound of revulsion, and the thing turns toward her. When it opens its maw and says, Coraline, she realizes this is the other father. The other father was sent there to be punished for giving Coraline too much information. It confirms nothing but that it is down there and that the other mother isn't pleased. Its movements cause one of the buttons to fall off. Then, as Coraline begins to leave, it lunges toward her. 
Coraline grabs at the other button eye and pulls it off, blinding the creature. However, it listens closely, tracking her movements. Quietly as one can be, Coraline tiptoes out of the basement, closes the trap door, and walks out the front door, locking it behind her and hiding the key under the mat. Coraline desperately wants to go home. Yeah. Me too. Me too, Coraline. Me too. Coraline heads to the attic where the crazy old man lives. At home, it smells of tobacco, cheesy things, and strange food. But here, it smells of the rotted versions. Convincing herself of her bravery, Coraline pushes forth into the cramped flat. Many tiny singing voices can be heard, singing the same song from her dream, and the one the rats were singing. From the shadows, red eyes stare at her, and little feet scurry about. From a far room, a rustling voice says, Little girl, and slowly she heads towards it. No. A figure stands at the end of the room, telling Coraline to stay, to play, to eat food she likes and not be ignored. She can have dear ball green gloves and yellow Wellington boots in the shape of frogs. She can have whatever she wants. Coraline tells the figure she doesn't want everything, no one does, and that it is a bad copy of a crazy old man and would never understand. Coraline pulls the stone from her pocket and starts to look around for the last marble and spots its tiny glow in the greasy raincoat of the figure. The figure falls apart into black rats and Coraline loses sight of the marble. When she spots it, the largest rat has it in its paws and and is by the door. Coraline gives chase and it scurries out. Running too fast down the stairs, Coraline falls, scraping her knee and hand, and when she stands up, the rat is gone. Dejected, Coraline closes her eyes, but then hears a cough. When she looks up, she spots the rat's surprised face, and the other half of its body a few feet away, the black cat sitting smugly with a glass marble under its paw. The cat taps it toward Coraline, telling her it assumed she wouldn't mind it getting involved, and tells her the other mother has closed all the doors into this place, and now she'll never get home. Coraline promises that they will. With the third marble in hand, Coraline heads back inside to the twisted version of their home. The other mother is waiting for her inside. It professes to love Coraline, but Coraline doesn't believe she knows what love is. The other mother is ready for Coraline to give up as she hasn't found her parents, but Coraline says she knows exactly where they are. They're in the one place she hasn't looked, the hallway between the worlds. Coraline desperately hopes her trick will work, that the other mother will want to gloat, but at the same time, Coraline is also desperate not to look at the snow globe on the mantelpiece. The other mother falls for Coraline's ploy and opens the door with the big iron key. As the door opens and the other mother looks smug, Coraline tosses the cat at her, grabs the snow globe, dashes to the door, taking the key out and shouting for the cat. It feels like Coraline is fighting against the wind as she tries to pull the door closed. Shouting, help me, 
The ghostly hands of three children and two adults help give her the strength she needs to close the door. But as it closes, something scuttily falls on Coraline's head and thumps to the floor. Before running down the dark hallway, Coraline locks the door. In her home, she curls up in one of the uncomfortable armchairs and falls asleep with the cat on her lap. Coraline is woken by the gentle shake of her mother, her real mother. Her mother has no recollection of the other mother and the copied flat and only remarks on the cat waiting at the front door. Coraline scraped me and that dinner will be ready in 15 minutes. That night, Coraline puts the three marbles under her pillow and dreams she is at a picnic with three other children dressed strangely. They enjoy their picnic, play in the meadow, laugh and enjoy ice cream. Before the dream sun sets, the other children warn Coraline that it isn't over yet. Yikes. Damn it. (laughs) Really feels like it's over. Yeah. Yeah. When Coraline wakes in the early hours, she hears scuttling outside her bedroom door. Thinking it's one of the rats, Coraline tells it to go away or it will be sorry. After a pause, she hears it scuttle away. It isn't over, is it? No, that ain't a rat, Coraline. That is not a rat. Coraline checks her parents are in bed, and thankfully they are. While Coraline is looking out the front door, something detaches itself from the shadows of the couch and scuttles toward her. It isn't a rat or a spider. It's the right hand of the other mother, and it wants the iron key Coraline placed around her neck. This is not a cute, friendly hand like from the Adams family. This is a scary fucking hand. Yeah, long and bony and thin and... Fingernails. Very red fingernails, yeah. Coraline goes back to bed and she puts her head on her pillow. She hears the crunch of broken glass. She finds the marbles broken, looking like empty shells. Gathering them up carefully, Coraline places them in a small blue box. When Coraline visits Miss Forcible and Miss Spink a day or so later, Miss Forcible reads her tea leaves and tells Coraline... Everything's mostly shipshape and Bristol fashion, except for one big clump which looks like a hand. One of their Scotty dogs whines and hides at this, Miss Spink noting it seems he's been in some sort of fight. When Coraline sees the crazy old man from upstairs, he says something has frightened his mice. Freaking hands frightened his mice. As Coraline is drifting off to sleep that night, The hand scratches at her bedroom window, leaving deep gouges in the glass. No, thank you. No, ma'am. Coraline sleeps uneasily, waking often to plot and plan. The next morning, Coraline has a picnic with her dolls and borrows a paper tablecloth from her mother. When her mother queries, playing with her dolls, Coraline calls them protective coloration, Something she learned about in a book earlier. And it's really, really cute. It seems she has a plan. Taking a box with the dolls, teacups, a jug of water, Coraline heads taking a circuitous route outside to set her trap at the hidden well. After removing some planks, Coraline spreads the tablecloth and sets the dolls up 
at each edge of the well with their cups and a little water in each to weigh the cloth down. Once it's all set up, she retraces her steps. Coraline knocks on the door of Mrs. Forcible and Spink. The iron key clearly displayed in her hand. Loudly declaring she can't stay because she's going to play at the well with her dolls, she asks Miss Forcible how their dog is doing. Better, thank you for asking. With that, Coraline's trap is set and she walks openly to the well. Coraline loudly offers her dolls salutations and carefully places the key on the tablecloth, keeping hold of the string. She then starts her picnic, watching the hand she spies in the bushes. Suddenly the hand bursts free, skitters towards the picnic, leaps and lands in the centre of the tablecloth. As the hand closes around the iron key, it rips through the paper tablecloth and tumbles down into the darkness of the well. After a count of 40, Coraline hears a muffled splash. Coraline puts the heavy planks back over the well and collects her things. The black cat comes sauntering over, jumps on the top of the replaced planks, and gives Coraline a wink. When Coraline returns to the house, the crazy old man from upstairs, who Coraline founds out is called Mr. Bobo, (laughs) tells her the mice say all is good and Coraline is their savior. Next, Coraline returns the stone to Miss Forcible and Miss Spink. The next day, Coraline is to start school. Normally, the night before starting school, Coraline will be a nervous wreck and bubbling with apprehension. But now, there's nothing left to scare her. Yikes at the hand! I think it's like the end. This is the end of the book. But, you know, I keep thinking that hand is still in the well, and the hand has the key. I know. I know. Look, we can't start talking about it yet. We need to take a break. No. Let's think about that while we have a break and probably cry. Scary. Scary. (laughs) I need an adult. (laughs) Please remember that Fictional Hangover is a free podcast and always will be. If you'd like to support the show, stop listening to us for just a few minutes, become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictional hangover, then come back. If you can't do this monthly but still want to support us because you just like the show so much, head over to coffee at ko-fi.com slash fictional hangover to drop us a one-time tip. Your support on Patreon and Coffee will help us bring you more spoiler-filled discussions, book character cosplays, and ridiculous content you know and love. Now, back to the episode. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. This entire book is so disquieting, like... You think about little scenes all the time and little happenings and yeah, don't I do not like. <laughs> but now I kind of want to go to a, like an old house or something, an old manor house or a castle that has one of those locked doors and like oh it doesn't go anywhere and go yeah, yeah. I'm back and, yeah. It doesn't go anywhere when you open it. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Let's give the key to an eleven-year-old child and see what happens. Yeah, really. Look that. That's the biggest the biggest problem I have with the book is what we were talking about before we went to the break. 
Why didn't Coraline keep holding on to the string? Yeah. When the hand jumps on the tablecloth, yank that key away and let it fall down. Then you have the key. The hand is at the bottom of the well. Really, really, really far down at the bottom of the well. Count to 40 is a long it's a time long as well. long time to fall. Put the planks back on. Yeah. It probably won't be able to get out, at least for a very, very long time. I wouldn't doubt... Th- and by then... By then... You, what? You've moved, you've moved away to university. You've gone to a different country. Some other small child will be traumatized by the hand. Yeah, it's future other child's problem. <laughs> Can you imagine, though, the hand climbing up the well and, like, its fingernails are getting snapped off and it's doing the scary horror movie fingernail ripping, breaking thing? Yeah. <sighs> That's a Grady Hendrix book right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. Ooh. Ooh, I just got chills thinking about fingernails ripping off. Oh, I don't like that. I still freak out about that bit in Horror Store when when that happens. I know, I know. And I always think of Stir of Echoes, Kevin Bacon. Mm. The fingernails snap Mm. off there. That's a really good movie now. I really want to watch it. And it's spooky time, so I can watch it. As As I pointed out to someone today, yes, it's spooky time. But for me, spooky time is all spooky year Spooky time round. is always, yeah. I don't know why I said now I can watch it. Like, I don't watch <laughs> horror movies all year long and they're my favorite thing. It's, but it's just an exceptionally ex- good excuse to not watch that other thing, but to watch yeah, the horror movie. have to movie. watch all if, scary things all the time. If you need that excuse. I don't. Which nobody needs an excuse to no, watch what No, want. especially not in this household. We love scary movies, so it's fine. Exactly, so you're fine so out of that entire yike fest yike did you have any standout moments just look i really loved the other mother's hand i know we were just talking about how creepy it is but i love it so much because it's so creepy exactly that's reason to love it the creep factor i also really like Mr. Bobo and that we find out that his name is Mr. Bobo at the very end and she's like why did I not know that his name is Mr. Bobo because I would have said it at every opportunity I would have constantly said Mr. Bobo if I knew that was his name I spent the entirety of the book going I mean I listened to it first and the audiobook is read by Neil Gaiman yeah. as well and sometimes it can be a bit of controversy over an author reading their own book because they're not like trained to do so but Neil Gaiman is spectacular he is such a good narrator he does creepy yeah so well um but for some reason as I was listening to I was going I'm sure that old man's having his name they've said his name they've got to have said his name he has a name and then when it gets got to the end I was like ah yes it's because it's classed Mr. Bobo Mr. Bobo no, you're the crazy old man who lives upstairs who tries to train mice in their circus. Shawnee should listen to the mice. Listen to the mice, people. Listen to the mice. It's really creepy. It worked for Cinderella in the Disney version with Gus Gus in there. You know, listen to the mice. 
Coraline listened to the mice, she wouldn't have gone through that. No. But at the same time, if Coraline hadn't gone through that, she wouldn't have learned to overcome fears right. and found her own bravery and realised actually she might be a small child, but she is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, she's a very good role model. Yes. Yes. Do you know what I quite like? There was no mention of the yellow raincoat and you know the you know the, the image from the movie I'm not we're not talking about the movie. Right. But I get the image from the movie stuck in my head so much and that's the image I see cosplayed all the time. Yeah. And that's not the case. No, no. If you wanted to be Coraline, I mean you you would wear her outfit that the other mother gives her or pajamas. Yeah. You wouldn't you wouldn't wear a really cute yellow raincoat and have a short choppy blue bob. Wouldn't do it. Yeah. I, yeah. So now I feel like I need to go and find those those pictures if they exist in the world. I really I like the I know that we're not talking about the movie, but I do like the other mother. I do like the way she's portrayed in the movie. Yeah, she's probably the best. I mean, it's it is a completely separate entity. It is a different. It feels like a completely different storyline. Yeah, respect. well, there's a whole other kid there. There's a whole other living child. <laughs> who's there? Yeah, and the yeah, and other mother. Mister Bobo's not done right. No, and the other mother turns into a giant spider, like. Yeah. weird creepy thing which is great and creepy and wonderful and beautiful but it doesn't happen in the book no and if you look at the illustrations in the books because oh there are gosh. a couple of couple of different illustrated versions mm-hmm. i have the um the dave mckean i mean i don't have it i've but got that's... the chris riddle yeah but there's one page in the Dave McKean copy where the other mother, like her head is tilted back and her mouth is open and like her mouth is open in a weird way and her eyeballs are there and it's just so creepy. It's such a creepy yeah. illustration. I kind of wonder, I mean, it's, was it the same people who did Nightmare Before Christmas? I've got a feeling it may have Who made been... the movie? I think yeah. so. Because it feels like it's almost set in that universe. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's an extension of that. They've taken some of the creepy factor from that and added it into Coraline. Because mm-hmm. um, Nightmare Before Christmas was like 1993. And Coraline was... remember. I'm trying to remember from the book because it does say like 2009-ish, 10-ish. It's about 10 years old. Yeah, um, I wonder how much of the, it's taken ideas from that that concept. You know, maybe it's not the same. I mean, because Tim Burton did Nightmare Before Christmas. Why do I feel like he also did Coraline, but he definitely didn't? It m- might have been the same production company rather than Tim Burton. Yeah, Henry Selick did both of them. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. But you're right. That's a good call. Henry Selleck did do both of them. So. Mm. 
So there you go. The very different beasts. Yes, definitely. The I don't know which of the creatures I found the most creepy. I mean, other mother to one side. She was. A, she wins. She wins all competitions all the time. She, she wins all. But then you've got the other father who is weird, but then turns into a grub. Yeah, a big oozy, bloated, Ugh. disgusting thing. Yeah. You've got Mr. Bobo, who is... Made of rats. rats. He, he's, he was rats. And then Miss Forcible and Miss Spink, who are goo and a chrysalis. Yeah. I think the creepiest thing about all of the other people is that Mrs. Spink and Forcible unzip their entire bodies and come out and look different. That's the creepiest bit for me, is that they unzip their faces. Yeah. Creepy beyond all reason. (laughs) It's not nice. It's not Mm -mm. right. No, do not like. Creepy beyond all reason. Yeah. But I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) It's just... We've said it a few times. Um, that the best thing about horror is when you take the regular normal place and you sw- you slightly twist it. Mm-hmm. You you make it that other, mm-hmm. and that is exactly what Coraline is—a mm-hmm. bad copy, an other copy of everything that's familiar, and it just doesn't feel mm-hmm. right. It's it's genius, and I, I will admit to when I was reading and going. This is given to children? Because <laughs> ah, I have read it a long, long time ago, but I can't remember it. Um, I think my memories are more of the movie than the book. Yeah. The movie seems to have stuck on my head a bit more because it's been that long. Yeah. Um, but reading it through, I was thinking, this, 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 this is just not right for children, but... After giving the background information, what you said about it, that it makes a lot of sense as an adult. I'm reading it in a different way. I felt so sorry for Caroline because she's just ignored by her parents and left to wander and explore, which is fine. You know, if you're living in a safe place where your kid can go outside and play in the garden by themselves, you know, you, that's 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 fine. I, I can't do that. I live in an urban area. My child is allowed to play on the front if I'm standing there watching yeah. him, because you know it's just not safe with the roads and things. Obviously, there's this. I mean, there's a, there's an old tennis court out the back, and there seems to be all this woodland and all this space, and it sounds absolutely glorious to be a child to be able to explore and all that nature and all that world safely. Um, but lonely. Yeah. And that's that's like the first third of the book you just get this sense of loneliness from Coraline because a, a mum makes ter- can't cook, makes terrible meals for her and doesn't give her the time of day. Her father's locked in his study all the time and when she does go and see him and visit him, he's like, that's nice, dear, now can you leave me to work? Yeah. It's like, you haven't got a healthy work-life balance there, mate. And they're happy for her to do whatever they want. She wants as long as she dresses appropriately and doesn't make a mess yeah. and lets them work. And that's sad. And obviously, it's established from page one. They've just moved to this area. 
They don't know anybody. She doesn't have any friends to go around their house and play with them. Instead, she's encouraged to go and, I say bother, but essentially, you know, the, the neighbours are being volunteered as babysitters, mm-hmm. as entertainment for her, when it's nice for them. Obviously, Miss Forcible and Miss Spink do like Coraline. You know, she's invited them for tea and biscuits. She has a limeade. She has, she's, it's a nice entertainment for them. But it's not playtime for her. It's not f- fun all the time to go and do that. Yeah. I felt really sorry for Coraline. Really, really sorry for her. So you can kind of and sympathetic to why she would go through the door and why she would stay so long in the other world with the other mother and the other father and have that fabulous chicken dinner and sort of start to settle there as a parent it killed me to think that that would happen well you know we can think of it as it's the end of summer vacation and she's about to start Mm -hmm. school again so in our heads we can tell ourselves that they've been playing with her all summer long and they've gone on wonderful holidays and they've traveled the world and they've done amazing things but now they've gotten back home and they have to get their work done and they haven't been ignoring her for her entire life it's only just for a few days. We can tell ourselves that. <laughs> I think it's certainly for the six weeks summer holidays. I think, you know, that it's that the impression I certainly got was that they moved at the end of her school year. So they moved in, say, July or June, July. Mm-hmm. So she hasn't started school yet. We ha- In the UK, our summer holidays are for six weeks, end of July to the beginning of September. So she's, and I got the impression she's starting secondary school. So she's in September. Mm-hmm. That's why she needed her full uniform and got the oversized blazer. It's what happens. <laughs> My blazer had to last me three years because those buggers are expensive. And, um, oh, mine was in a fetching maroon. Oh, God. I've seen pictures. I think I, I've seen pictures. I, I was going to say, I think I've sent you pictures. I've seen pictures. It was um, not pretty. It was not pretty, everyone. It, it was really not wasn't. an attractive blazer. Oh, God, it's black now. God damn it. Um, and the girls can wear trousers now. Oh. We weren't allowed to when I was there. But that's by the by. I'm still bitter. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I just get the impression that they moved at the end, the, the beginning of the summer. It's now the end of the summer. And they've spent the entire time moving in, settling down into the new jobs. Or, you know, one of them's got a new job, whatever. Um, and... That takes time, you know, making the home takes time, establishing your house takes time. So I've I've got, I certainly do have an element of sympathy for the parents, but I also feel very sorry for Coraline. But, you know, she's starting school in a couple of days and she's going to make friends and everything's going to be fine. And also she has faced frightening monsters and, you know, touched some goo and chased a rat, talked to a cat. Yeah. She's going to be fearless, honestly. I remember the nerves of going to secondary school. It's vomit-inducing anxiety. It's horrible. Even when you know, you know, friends from junior school are going to the same school as you, you know. But it's this, 
di- it's the convergence of all these primary schools coming together and it's like so many new people yeah. and everybody's so wicked tall I remember being 11 and standing in the the playground and going, everybody's so big and I don't know where anything is. But I also remember being 16, standing in the hall, uh, the, uh, the, in the grounds and going, all of the year sevens are teeny tiny pocket-sized people. Oh my God, was I ever that small? And they all look terrified. And then you start laughing because you've been there, you've done that. It was trial by fire, but you get there, you know. You have a four-week orientation at school before you plunked in different places. But yeah, she's going to be absolutely fearless. Yeah, she really is. I was really small when I started middle school, which is the same age as Coraline here. I was very small. That was before I was diagnosed with diabetes and, you know, none of my organs were working properly. So I was very, yeah, I was suck. very, very small. I wasn't even five feet tall when I started middle school. But then I, you know, got my diagnosis and was out of school for two weeks. And my best friend told everyone that I had a brain tumor and not to tell me. And then by the end of middle school, by the end of, end of that school year, I was probably pretty close to how tall I am now. <laughs> Thanks, insulin. You helped my body grow. Yay. Yay. I remember being tall at one point, and then that stopped. I, it didn't, didn't, didn't. Nothing else happened. I was tall for about five minutes, and then everybody else shot up around me while I stayed exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, I'm not very tall, but you know, when you start out like four feet eleven inches tall, weighing like sixty something pounds, and then by the end of the school year, you're at least five two weighing you know 90 pounds you're a completely different person oh gosh yeah that was a really awkward school year i would not repeat no no would not would not do a do-over for that one just leave it be it's fine just leave it bare thinking about nope all right, so who's your favorite character? <laughs> the cat. What a smug little bugger. Yeah, I also liked the cat. I just, I, thought, I, I instantly, as soon as the cat came on, I was like, yes, Amanda's going to revel in I love in the, the cat. cat. I love, she's like, oh, what's your name? Like, cats don't have names. Well, what do you do, you know, when someone wants to call you for dinner? Well, say that it's dinner time. Why do I need to have a name to know that it's dinner time? I don't have a name. Cats don't have names. I loved that cat. That cat was great. I also liked the other mother because... Same. Yeah. Oh, oh, we haven't mentioned about the ghost children. The ghost children, yes. The ghost children were very interesting. I loved the one who didn't know if he was a boy or a girl because he'd, you know, been dead for so long. He doesn't know. They don't know their names. They lost their names. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I was a boy or a girl. And then there, I was really confused, though, by when she had the picnic with them later 
one wasn't human. It had fairy wings. It had fairy wings. So where else has the other mother lived and what else has she done? Why was the other mother there? Why weren't you and your fairy world powerful enough to defeat the other mother? Depends on how their what their fairy world is like, doesn't it? Do they have magic? Can they just fly? Are they just, you know, earth spirits? We don't know. We don't know. We don't have any information about it. Um, But it's an interesting little nugget to consider. It's another one of these where if there was... You can imagine a secret sequel. I love a secret sequel. Where it's set in this fairy world and there's an off-handed comment about a door that goes nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she's gone again. No, I'm back. I'm I'm not leaving. It was just terrible. I don't even think you did it on purpose, but I enjoyed it. Set, it, it you know when you're saying something, you go, I'm punning. I'm punning. I'm accidentally punning. I'm punning. I love it. <laughs> oh, accidental puns. Okay. Were you accidental surprised puns. by anything other than your accidental puns? Just how puns? freaking scary. <laughs> just how freaking scary yeah. it is. Just. Do you not like? It's that. Taking the normal and making it slightly off. What about you? Look, why were the police so dismissive of her? She called the police in the middle of the night. Saying, I don't know where my parents are. My parents are gone. I'm at home alone. Like, oh, it sounds like you've had a bad dream. Like, no, the other mother took them. You know, maybe it's because she said the other mother took them and, you know, they're trapped in a snow globe or whatever. Maybe leave some of those details out. Or maybe the police should be like, are your parents really not home? And then you could just answer, no, they're not home. I don't know where they are. They're gone. They've been gone for days. What he should have done is asked to speak to the parents. Not, go and tell your mother to make you some hot chocolate and that the policeman said so. Yeah, it's not going to help. No. But then Miss Forcible and Miss Spink totally dismissed the fact that her parents are missing as well. Yeah. What's with these grown-ups? Do you think they were... Do you think they, they were also influenced by the other mother? That is a possibility. That did cross my mind. Um, the other one was that Miss Spinks and Miss Forcible, unless they're talking about themselves and their theater that they're not going to pay any attention um and given current climate regarding the police force i not surprised she is a child and therefore dismissed children should be seen and heard and other bollocks scenes Mm. like that Is it time? It's time. I really liked our first would you rather question this time. Like so much I enjoyed this question. (laughs) 
which is, would you rather be made of rats or be the living goo inside of Christmas? I love it. I love it, I love uh. it so Because <laughs> it's gross. On Facebook, no one is going to be rats. And it's a goo. <laughs> On Instagram, it's 56% rats and 44% goo. On Twitter, it was 45% rats and 55% goo, which is exactly the same as TikTok. It's very interesting. You know, so many more people answered on Twitter this week because Neil Gaiman shared our question. So we had (laughs) 1,062 votes. Yeah. We had... We had close to 100 on TikTok, which is still a lot and a surprising, you know, a surprisingly good number, but not as many as a thousand. We had five on Facebook. (laughs) God damn you, Facebook. They didn't take away the damn poll option. We would be fine. Anyway. Their business decisions leave a lot to be desired. Really? We have we comments. We do have comments. We have many, we many, many comments. comments. At Headzilla on Twitter said, I wish to be goo so I can break out of the chrysalis and absorb people and objects into my gooey, amorphous mass. Wonderful. Nice. At the Sagest on Twitter says, As much as it pains me, I choose the rats. Goo in chrysalises is how you get gremlins. <laughs> <laughs> At Selty on Twitter says, living inside a chrysalis sounds so comfy. <laughs> you know they have a blanket that they wrap themselves yeah, up with. Yeah, or like the they time. sit in a beanbag wrapped up. Yes, with a blanket and yes. a yes. snug. At Eppers on Twitter says, at least living goo might turn into something better. Hmm. In Coraline, do we think? I don't think. That's I don't think happen. so. I don't think turn so. Turn into a horror beast. Yeah, they're going to turn into a two-headed, singing, unicycle-riding, knife-throwing monster. That throws its own flowers onto yes. the floor. At Orvis underscore Obscura on Twitter says, Definitely rats. Then I could go everywhere. And rats are delightful. Nice. <laughs> At Ivy... Geisterjäger on Twitter says, Living goo. Imagine the possibilities. <laughs> I just, I, I think of that and it, Ghostbusters comes to mind, mm. or these Ghostbusters yes. too, with the goo. Yes. Is yes. your goo angry goo or is it happy goo? At the moment, it's quite happy Positively goo. Positively charged. Yes. Okay. It wants to listen to some music and have that thump, thump, yeah. thump, thump yeah. thing happen. Yeah. At Bree Tart on Instagram says, made of rats so I could be in multiple places at once. I could send bits of myself to send messages and hunt for garbage and learn how to cook and eventually I would become the rat family from Ratatouille and open an adorable <laughs> little restaurant. I'm glad you have goals, Bree Tart. I'm glad you have rat goals. <laughs> what is the signature dish, though? Mm, we need to know. We need to know mm. her signature dish. The Tourmaline Renegade on Instagram says rats, because rats are intelligent creatures. 
Rebecca Garner, author on Instagram, says, made of rats because at least I wouldn't be gooey. <laughs> no, but you live in a greasy court. Mm, it's true. Hmm. Some of the time, anyway. But you have a wonderful singing you, voice. Are you sure? It's wonderful. For rats. For rats, it's wonderful. I haven't heard any better of you. No, I haven't. L20Kev on Instagram says, The goo does look very snuggly, and if it's wintertime, everyone is desperate for those cozy vibes. But how can you not be Candyman's cousin, Ratman? <laughs> Candyman is made from bees, so rats are close enough. Instead of a mirror, I come out of your drain pipe and kill you with white spit powder made of human poison to avenge my fallen rat pals who died too young to rat poison. <laughs> you know, I started out really, really good. I was, it was fine. You were strong. Was, you were strong. I, but I broke because, because of the human poison to avenge fallen rat pals. White spit powder made of human poison. Yep. It's really, really good. Oh, do you know what's exciting? Um, I mm. I shared this one at the library again. I got some good library comments as well. Jennifer, Jennifer nice. said, made of rats, cute furry friends, and I can get in and out of small spaces, terrify people, and sing. <laughs> See, Jennifer appreciates the rat yes, singing. Yes, Jennifer has clearly read Coraline. <laughs> someone else some nameless person at the library said maybe this would end up feeling comforting or at least my consciousness might be turned mostly off for a while then you get to be a butterfly so that's cool so they're the living goo inside of a chrysalis yeah you'll be a horror butterfly Bush, a butterfly yeah. knife wielding butterfly with two, two heads. heads the unicycle yeah. And then finally, Brittany at the library said, I have played an animal shapeshifter in D&D, and a swarm of rats have some pretty cool abilities. It's true. It is true. So what are you going to do? Are you going to be goo or are you going to be rats? <sighs> this is a hard question. It really is, and I've been pondering this for nigh on a week. What are you going to be? I like the comfiness of the chrysalis, but... Goo. But I keep I keep keep coming back to the Ghostbusters goo. So I'm gonna be goo, but I'm gonna be the Ghostbusters okay. goo. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. Plus I've had this feeling that if I was rats, then it would be a case of we are rats, we are legion, mm -hmm. and it just gets a bit yeah. crazy, you yeah. know? So yeah, I'm gonna be goo. What about you? I'm gonna be rats. I'm gonna be made of rats. I'm really intrigued by the idea of a rat king, you know, and rats, they get all tangled up and their tails tie in a knot and then they just become one giant rat. I'm, I'm into that. I'm into the thought of a rat king. Um, so that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a rat king. And then, you know, I can, I can be my own best friend. <laughs> I can start a restaurant. I mean, there are, there are an infinite number of possibilities if you are made of rats. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna fair. be made of rats. That sounds fair. 
just want to be a rat king. That's all I want to be. <sighs> Do you know the hardest part of Would You Rather isn't necessarily picking. It's the justification behind it. It really is. And my favorite thing about Would You Rather is that we don't plan our answers out in advance. No. No. We plan a lot of I stuff never... in advance. We do. We plan a lot of stuff out. But we never plan out our answers to Would You Rather. They're always spontaneous. Yeah. I'll think about it. Like I say, I've been thinking about about school rats, school rats. But I've literally felt, oh, I feel like rats today. No, I think I'll be yeah. goo. And that's yeah. it. No justification. Mm-hmm. And my answer, the canon answer, is what's recorded yep. out. Okay, next question. Would you rather be trapped inside a mirror or a snow globe? Oh, this is awful. It is. I do not want to be trapped. No. I'm going to say, as nice as the snow globe might be, no. I'm going to go inside the mirror because I don't want to be picked up and shaken and... I might be like a really cheesy snow globe or like a specific holiday mm-hmm. themed one, which is just, it's, it's okay. I, I, I like the holiday season, but I don't want to be trapped inside that no. snow globe. And there's always a potential with mirrors that you could travel to other mirrors. Right. Someone to yeah. go mirror. I'm also going to go mirror, but mostly because thinking of, being trapped inside the snow globe reminds me of going bovine. Going bovine, yeah. And being trapped inside of that snow globe. And that was just a heart-wrenching story, and I don't want to think about that anymore. I don't want to be trapped inside a snow globe, because what if I was trapped inside one of those snow globes? So... I'm going to be trapped inside a mirror. Also, if I'm in the mirror, then I can probably go find Candyman. (laughs) <laughs> and I will be friends with Candyman. And I'm okay with that. You could you could be Bloody Mary. I could be. I could be Bloody Mary. That's fine. We can have parties behind the mirror when nobody's looking. And then outside the mirror, when some stupid bugger comes along and says the name. Yeah, and then just come out and murder everyone and then have a party on the outside. And yeah, I think it's fine. I think it's reasonable. Yeah. This is a good this is a good life goal. It is. It is. Okay. My life goal is now to live inside of, of a mirror and murder people. It's appropriate, seasonally appropriate it is. as well. Perfect. Next question, speaking of seasonal appropriateness. Would you rather dress as a raggedy witch, a patches scarecrow, a future warrior complete with digital lights, or a slinky dress with feathers and mirrors? I like all of them. And these are all the costumes that were in the wardrobe, by the way, the other mother left for. I like all of these things. I want to wear all of them. Yes. I think I want to be the scarecrow the least. Because that just mm-hmm. feels itchy to me. Um, um, yeah, good point. The witch could be fun. Mm-hmm. I instantly know what I want, so I'm hoping it's the same as me. I also really like the future warrior with digital lights and the slinky dress with feathers. Um, look, I'm going to be the future warrior complete with digital lights just for the lights. That's exactly what I want to be. 
I've pew pew. Is that what you want to be too? Pew 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 pew. pew, pew. I really like light up yes. things. Yes. Yes. I I instantly want the future warrior complete with digital lights, and a pew pew gun. But yes, Raggedy Witch is up mm. there, second mm-hmm. place. Um, actually, probably third place is the Patches Scarecrow, and then the Slinky Dress with Feathers and Mirrors. Which I felt sounded very inappropriate for an 11-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking, I got a flapper sort of vibe with that one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which I have that costume. I could put that on right now. Oh, well, that's boring, though. You want Future Warrior with complete digital lights. I do. And Pew Pew Gun. Yes, I do. I do like the Future Warrior complete with digital lights. Kind of want a bit of a 60s vibe to it as Mm, well. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. All right, next question. That one was too fun. We gotta, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta tone it down. We gotta get terrible again. Damn it. Would you rather save the children or save your parents? This question sucks. I would out. rather not answer this question, thank you. Option C. <laughs> Option C, run into the mirror and then murder everyone. Option C, the cat. Option C, save the cat. Look, that's something that I didn't like. I forgot to mention this earlier. I did not like that Coraline threw the cat at the other mother. That is not okay. Don't throw cats. Don't do it. Don't throw a cat. Thank you for attending now PSA. Okay, now I'm sorry. What are you doing? No, it's fine. It's fine. It, it, gave, it bought me time to make no decision. You see, on the one hand, I think parents, you want your parents, you need your parents. Uh-huh. And especially when you're an 11 year old ch- yeah. child, you yeah. need your parents. But then also, those children have been trapped there for a long, long time. A long, long time. And it sounds like they're just desperate. So, I'm going to say I'm my parents, and I'm going to try and come back and save the children another time. I'm just going to save my parents. The children, they're already dead. True. And yeah, they're trapped in the mirror world. Maybe they can get out. One of them's a friggin' fairy. Someone help the fairy. You see, the thing is, I would... I would want to save them, but I don't know if I necessarily want to go back. Once the door's locked and I don't want to unlock Mm-mm. it. So I'm probably going to become one of those weirdos who like masters the occult or something like that, trying to find a way to rescue these children. Yeah. So essentially I'm going to become an occult librarian. Yes, that's fine. Just is that, to save is that an option? Well, I've saved my parents. That's option okay. C. I, I'm also taking option C. Cool. Yeah means you get a netflix special as well because you go on these wacky yeah. adventures whilst yeah. trying to see yeah. it. it's a little bit supernatural but more books yes and less angst mm. are there sexy gentlemen with long hair flowing behind them oh they're worth it yeah yeah they are mm-hmm. and an awkward one in a trench coat yeah yeah mm-hmm. i'm there for it Last, last question. question. Is Jared Padalecki last involved question. in the last question? I don't know if I can answer it if he's not involved. 
quite possibly he might be cast. Would you rather face the other father in the basement, the other Miss Forcible and Miss Spink is the goo, or other Mr. Bobo, a.k.a. Ratman? And I th- any one of them can be Jared Padalecki. I think, Jared Padalecki aside, I think that I'm going to go with the other father in the basement because he's by himself. Mrs. Mrs. Forcible and Spink had their creepy dog bats swarming all over the place. And, I mean, Mr. Bobo mm-hmm. is made of rats, so there were rats all over the place. But the other father was just a grub. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight the other father. I'm going to face him. I agree. Um, the other thing is with the other father, he tried to resist the other mother's compulsion to... Yeah, he's kind of on your side. And so, yeah, I think that's the best option. There's that moment of hesitancy. He almost warns her what he's going to do. So, yeah, yeah, it seems like it's the more sensible of options. But you do have to reach up and pull off his eyeball. It's a button, though. So it's not as if you like digging your fingers into the socket and pulling and popping out, out, this out an gelatinous actual ball. Eyeball. Yeah. yeah. You can get eyeball spoons, you know. Yeah, just gouge out, just gouge out an eyeball with an eyeball spoon. Do you think they do that? Well, it's for fake eyes. I asked my friend who's a nurse once years ago, and she said yes, they have them for the false eyes. Do you? Do you think they used an eyeball spoon to pop out their eyeballs before they sewed their buttons in? I don't know. I This is one of the things I have questions about. Because it's said in the book, sew the button onto or into the eye. I don't know whether or not the eyeball is still there or if they take the eyeball out and then the button goes over the hole. Or if they just sew the eyelids closed. Yeah. I suspect the eyeball has popped out. You think so? That's what I'm thinking. What do they do with the eyeballs? Eat them. Do you think they eat the eyeballs? Because the eyeballs eyes the windows to the soul. Mm. So the other mother eats it, and that's her entrance way to then Ooh, devour the rest of that's you. That's a good thought. Now I'm thinking about Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, the terrible, terrible movie where they ate eyeballs. For the same reason. That was souls. That was the souls. They ate the eyeballs. The nice garlic butter. Slips all the way down. Gross. Gross. Would you rather eat a slug or an eyeball? Um, Is it a human eyeball? Yes. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yikes! Okay, that's the end of Would You Rather. We gotta stop before it gets worse. What what for 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 a middle school age book? It's got some bloody awful. Yeah, yeah it really does. And I mean, we are kind of sick and twisted, so I think we we made it worse on purpose. Perfect. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> okay, favorite final thought quote. What do you have? Um, I have four. 
Four. Four. Okay. It was true the other mother loved her, but she loved Coraline as a miser loves money or a dragon loves its mm. gold. It's like, ooh, yeah, that's a good descriptor. It I like is that. really good. I also like the use of the word miser. Yes, ooh, miser. That's a good word. The next quote, I have all the feels for it. Mirrors, she said, are never to be trusted. Oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> I hate mirrors. I, I have that skill of being able to not look in a mirror. I can be in a hall of mirrors and not look in a mirror. That's a good talent. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's born from body issues, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a talent. <laughs> Next quote. Spider webs only have to be large enough to catch flies. Oh. And I like the symbolism of that. It's a kind of sentence for me where if you think about it, you can have all these different interpretations. It's literal in a very literal mm-hmm. sense is, is what mm-hmm. it is. But if you think about it, you could probably dig into it a little bit for the symbolism. Yes, and I really definitely. like that. And the last one, which just epitomizes everything yeah. for me. When you're scared, but you still do it anyway, that's that brave. Is brave. Okay. I have awesome. I have four also, and the the very first one is before the book even starts, and there's a quote. There's a quote before it even starts, and it is from G.K. Chesterton. Fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. And that's such a beautiful ah, quote. Yes. That's excellent. Yeah, that really makes me happy. But now, like, into the actual meat of the story. We could be rare specimens of an exotic breed of dancing African elephants. But we're not. At least, I'm not. Oh, you sassy cat. <laughs> I love you so much. All of mine are silly. Oh, Coraline. I was kidnapped by aliens. They came down from outer space with ray guns, but I fooled them by wearing a wig and laughing in a foreign accent. And I escaped. <laughs> I love laughing at, <laughs> laughing in <at> foreign <laughs> accent is the best thing ever. <laughs> and finally, I'm on my own. I think I've probably become a single-child family. It's really sad, but it's a funny quote. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I think I've become a single-child family. There was another line that the cat said. Now, for the life of me, I cannot remember what it is. But I read it and I was chuckling it away. But I forgot to put a bookmark in. Oh, no. It's always the way. I either forget to put the bookmarks in or I lose the bookmarks. <laughs> I really need to learn to write these things down straight away. That's what I started doing. I have my notes app on my phone and I just, nope, I got to keep that one. Go and write it down. I did it for one of the last uh, bloodlines for the, for the Indigo spell. I did it for one of them and then the rest I didn't because... Numpty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, oh, 
honestly. For this one, I, I did take pictures. I actually, as I was reading it, I had my phone mm. and I took pictures of the page so I knew to that's go back good. to it to get it done. So I did do that for this one. But that's only possible when you're reading the physical book or the ebook. But with the ebook, I can put a bookmark yeah, in. Yeah, well. or you it's can just, just take a screenshot. Yeah, yeah. So. I've done that many times before too. Highlight it, take a screenshot. So many ways you can mm. capture your favorite quotes. Yes. Technology. Okay. If you liked this, try this. What do you have to suggest? The Graveyard Book by Neil oh, Gaiman. Oh, The Graveyard Book. Yeah. I actually have had people go, you doing Coraline, not The Graveyard Book? I'm like, sorry? Coraline. Coraline's we'll, the, we'll get Coraline's to the first one. It's the first children's exactly. book. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, and it's from this. The summary is from the author's website. Bod is an unusual boy who inhabits an unusual place. He's the only living resident of a graveyard, raised from infancy by the ghosts, werewolves, and other cemetery. I can never say that word. And other cemetery denizens. Bod has learned the. To, <laughs> I forgot denizens. how to speak. Denizens is the word. <laughs> Denizens. Cemetery. Cemetery denizens. Cemetery. (laughs) Ah. The. I'm just going to start this again. Bod is an unusual boy who inhabits an unusual place. He's the only living resident of a graveyard. Raised from infancy by the ghosts, werewolves and other cemetery denizens. Bod has... Denizens? Denizens. 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 (laughs) And other cemetery... I can't say denizens, denizens. No, I've said it again. The same, exactly the same. You said denizens that time, not denizens. 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 (laughs) And other cemetery denizens. (laughs) Just keep going. Raised from infancy by the ghosts, werewolves, and other cemetery denizens, Bod has learned the antiquated customs of his guardians' time, as well as their timely ghosting. As well as their timely ghostly teachings, like the ability to fade. Can a boy raised by ghosts face the wonders and terrors of the world, of both the living and the dead? And then there are things like ghouls that aren't really one thing or the other. God damn it, that was hard. (laughs) I'm not going to lie to you. That was really terrible. You did a a terrible job. It was painful. You did a terrible job. It was painful. I, I want to do it again just because it was shit. No, it's fine. It's good. It's, it's really, really good, Claire. It really isn't. <laughs> it's terrible. My God. It's entertaining, God, though. It's, it's entertaining. <sighs> you know, I almost suggested the graveyard book, but then I thought, you know what? Claire's probably going to pick the graveyard book. So I went with a different middle grade spooky story. It's called Nightmares by Jason Siegel and Kirsten Miller. And yes, that's the same Jason Siegel that you recognize from, you know, movies and TV shows. But not that last season. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. World. Every other season but that one. Okay. So, Nightmares. The summary's from Goodreads. Sleeping has never been so scary. And now, waking up is even worse. 
Charlie Laird has several problems. Number one, his dad married a woman he is sure moonlights as a witch. Number two, he had to move into her purple mansion, which is not a place you want to find yourself after dark. Number three, he can't remember the last time sleeping wasn't a nightmarish prospect, like even a nap. What Charlie doesn't know is that his problems are about to get a whole lot more real. Nightmares can ruin a good night's sleep, but when they start slipping out of your dreams and into the waking world, that's a line that should never be crossed. And when your worst nightmares start to come true, well, that's something only Charlie can face, and he's going to need all the help he can get, or it might just be lights out for Charlie Laird for good. That's a really fun story. Have we got an appropriately spooky indie spot? We do. We do. And what's even better is that it's also in the same age range. Nice. This one's called Bee's Witch by Daniel Ingram Brown. On the eve of her 12th birthday, Beatrice Cross runs away from her adoptive home only to encounter the ghost of England's most famous prophetess. The witch offers her treasure, but can she be trusted? Bee must wrestle her past to discover the witch's secret and find her way home. I thought it was very fitting. I thought that was a very fitting selection for this week. Highly fitting. I yes. like it. I like it. A yes, lot. indeed. All right, that's it. That's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. Join us next time as we discuss Mooncakes by Suzanne Walker and Wendy Zhu. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise and become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. The only cure for a fictional hangover is a Denzian of the Simnentary. Whatever else you Denzian. said. Denzian. I can see That's it now. That's not how you say it. Denzian. Denizen. Denizen. recording laughing at me she finishes the episode recording laughing at me at least you're not angry at your tits anymore (laughs) excuse me it wasn't tits it was it was just the one i took exception to at fictionalhangover.com follow us on instagram at fictionalhangover 
find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictional hangover and on Twitter at fictional hangover no ER. If you'd like this episode, check out our others and rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>